You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. I'm excited. This one kind of, um, this is, it feels kind of like the pinnacle of what Jesus has been trying to get at. You know, he keeps kind of talking and having these two kind of character groups of kind of the high and lofty and the low, and how can you kind of not just flip the script so we have the same problem, but you actually meet in the middle there. Um, and it just, again, these, we really have seen these aren't just moralistic teachings. These aren't just be better, help more. You can, you know, you have the time, that kind of thing. It's really like put on a whole new set of values. You know, as you're becoming a new creation in Christ, that you should think differently. You should see the world differently, see people differently and struggles differently. Um, and so these are just, it's when Jesus teaches parables, he's not just giving you things to do or rules to follow, but it's really a whole new set of values to place over our heart. It's about heart change. Um, so today um, really is about the, the culmination of Jesus saying the kingdom of God is near. It is, it is tangible. It is happening around you. It's for anyone who stops their pursuit of self-fulfillment and turns to Christ. Anyone who bends their knee and says, no, you are Lord, I'm not Lord. Anyone who stops denying their sin, but they actually confess that I have sin. I am broken. I need to be saved. The kingdom of heaven is near. Um, and we're going to see that in a big way today. So I'm going to pray one more time, and let's jump into this parable today. Father, thank you for your word. God, your word is so good and has power. And we see your heart and your love deeply um, in the words today. Um, just thank you for your son's teaching. Thank you for the Emmanuel that we get to read that it was Christ on earth with us. Uh, we just pray that you speak beyond anything I ever say or we sing today, but God, your words are cut deep um, into our hearts. So we ask for that today. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so verse 9, Jesus, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Okay. So Jesus is telling this parable to people who already feel and live like they're better than other people. Okay, so they're, they, you don't have to like say, well, do they, do they not? We know. They're already convinced that they're better. They're ones who trust in their own righteousness and treat others with contempt. Now, stay with me for a moment. You know I love the Old Testament. I think about the curse in the beginning, the curse of the sin in the very beginning of our scriptures, right? The curse of sin was not... All of a sudden, without warning, people started sleeping around with whoever they wanted to, started murdering people everywhere, started lying, started stealing, started cheating, this kind of things. The curse of sin was that now humans, instead of being fully dependent and guided by God, had to now figure out what was good or evil, right? They were given, received the knowledge of good and evil. So now this means that humans, with their thoughts, their backgrounds, their biases, their interests, their fleshly desires, you name it, they have to decide for themselves and who is in their care what is good and evil. Can you see the issues? <laughs> I think we've seen the issues, right, for all of mankind, right? As long as we've had recorded history, there's been issues with this. So what does God do? And we're, we fast forward and we're told uh, in Galatians 3.19, Paul says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. 
So the law was given to show humans their sin. It was the way God is kind of God's way of recreating these garden state boundaries, right? Of saying, no, actually, there's boundaries, there's wisdom and limits. It's not just about you deciding what's best. It's actually, I can help you. I know the way. So all this to fast forward to Jesus' day, to Jesus' audience here, they're, are, they're, they're considering themselves not only good in that they're choosing what's good and they're deciding what's evil, they're actually saying, I'm not just good, I'm better. I'm actually, because of my choices of what is good and evil, I'm actually better than other people, holding others in contempt. This is his audience. Okay, do you see that we've come all the way to this and there's a huge issue here. This is the mindset of the ones who are listening to Jesus. Now, of course, there's other people here that are not quite in this mindset. The parable is directed to here. So Jesus has been doing this. He's been juxtaposing two character groups. Again, one that is lofty and one that is lowly. The first character group here, he doesn't like, he's not messing around saying there was a man anymore. He's like naming names. There was a Pharisee, right? He's just going for it. So the first character, Pharisee. In this parable, you see this contractual relationship with God. I do good, therefore you love and justify me. And this is more than just like individual spiritual growth, right? For any history buffs out there, if you, if you kind of like remember like 300 years-ish prior, like the, the Greeks took over the world, okay? They took over the world and, and now the Romans are the superpower now. And so you have this kind of Greco-Roman combination where they combine their gods, they combine philosophy of life, they combine all sorts of stuff. And that is kind of the world that they are set in, right? It's usually called Hellenism, right? If, if you cared, whatever. Greco-Roman paganism. I just realized, like, sorry, I could go. Uh, yeah, so usually it's called like Hellenism, right? So it's this idea of like a super culture, like let's bring it together and we got superpowers and it's so great and this is the way it, right? So rightly so, the Pharisees are kind of this like protective group. They're like, no, we're, we're Jews. We actually have to protect our ways of life because these things are seeping into it. It's like, oh no, like, but this Greek God could give you fertility. So why won't you like kind of pray to this God or what, you know? And they say, no, we actually need to protect these and help keep the boundaries. They were the champions of the Jewish way of life, the set-apart, set-apart, pious ones to show what it means to follow God. The issue, so that's not bad. The issue was that the Pharisees, it beca- what it became less about the ways of God and more about the obnoxious self-righteousness that came with that, right? Less about, less about God's faithfulness no matter what and more about their faithfulness means keeping God's favor, Look how Jesus stages the Pharisee in this parable, standing by himself, right? It's showing the set-apartness the Pharisee has, also this isolating gap that he's created from the rest of society, the rest of the people. Now, just a few chapters ago, Jesus had told his disciples how to pray. And if you look at the Pharisee's prayer put up against the Lord's prayer, I think you'll see some stark differences. The Pharisee prayer, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What is he saying here? There is no other man like me. What was Jesus' prayer? Father, hallowed be your name, 
your kingdom come, your will be done. What's he saying? There is no other God like you. The Pharisee prayer, verse 12, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. What is he saying? Look at what I provide and give you. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Not look what I gave you. It says look at what we can receive. You notice the two different postures here. What we get here is one prayer that is really worship of self and another that is truly worship of God. And here Jesus introduces a second character, a tax collector. Do you find it interesting that he doesn't say sinner here? Wouldn't it make sense to say there was a Pharisee and a sinner? Why tax collector? Why does he say, why does he put that title on? Now, this is my opinion. Let's have coffee and talk about it, okay? I feel like the reason he uses tax collector here is the same, to this particular audience, is the same reason why he uses a Samaritan helping a Jewish man in the Good Samaritan. Here's why. In that story, if the Jewish man who was walking and got beaten up, and the story was, and then a kind stranger came by and helped him up, that's a great story, right? Everyone would be like, wow, man, killer. Good job, Jesus. That's a good story, right? But because it says, oh, you know who helped him? A despised, ungodly, even wicked Samaritan. What does it become? It becomes a scandalous story. It becomes a scandal. What? How could that happen, right? Same, same logic, in my opinion, right? He uses a tax collector here because there's no hero in the story. If this was like a sinner or someone great or someone that just was humble or something, you know, a single parent that beats their breast and is like, God have mercy, you know, like that's like, oh, they're the hero. That's a good story. This is a tax collector. It becomes a scandalous story, right? A tax collector hired a Jew hired by the Romans to tax other Jews and given their power and position to skim off the top for themselves. Is that a good neighbor? (laughs) It's not your favorite person, right? So of the two characters here, by and large, the Pharisee would have been the one to emulate. The Pharisee would have been the one to be like, see, like they're doing it. They're crushing it, right? The tax collector, are you kidding me? I would never, ever be like that. But what, how did Jesus position this character? The ta- but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. Standing a far way off, not isolation, kind of like the Pharisee, but hesitation, right? I can't, I can't go up the steps to pray. I can't even make it. Not even lifting my eyes, downcast, just in turmoil, Beating the breast was an ancient way of saying, punishing the wicked heart. This thing in me, why is it in me? Why is it so corrupt? And there's a big difference between pounding your chest, look at me, and beating your wicked heart, right? There's a big difference. Same action, huge difference. The Pharisee says, love me because I do good. This character says, I don't do good. How could you possibly love me? The Pharisee thought he was better than all men. The tax collector thought he was worse than all men. 
And what does the tax collector do as he's beating his wicked heart? He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me. Now, this is pretty cool. Um, the original Greek word for mercy, um, you can look it up. I don't want to butcher it. Um, it's the root for a, a propitiation, which in another way is atonement, which is incredible. So if you look at this, you put that in there and that, that definition, God, atone for me, a sinner. You have to be my atonement. I cannot do it. The Pharisee's like, I did it. <laughs> I've been crushing it. The tax collector says, I can't. I can't. I'm asking if you will. Verse 14, and I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. This is incredibly significant because in our, in our parables so far, Jesus would usually add a third character in our stories, right? There'd kind of be two juxtaposed things, and then he would add like a judge character in the story. Who is the judge in the story? Jesus himself. Jesus himself is like, I tell you, I am here, and I tell you that's what I'm looking for. That's the heart of what it means to be justified. Now, real quick, we don't need to get super nerdy about it, but the, the doctrine of justification is a big one, right? What does that look like? What does that mean? And I, there's a helpful definition by the Gospel Coalition. Um, I just want to read it for you. So we kind of get what that, what that justification means. The doctrine of justification concerns God's gracious judicial verdict in advance of the day of judgment, pronouncing guilty sinners who turn in self-despairing trust to Jesus Christ, announcing them forgiven, acquitted of all charges, and declared morally upright in God's sight. Just, to, just pronouncing that, right? Justification is because of Jesus's work on the cross, not because of man's work on earth not because of man's good works here. This is incredible news to those who are aware of their sin and confess their sin, and this is quite offensive to those who are just are trying to save themselves and trying really, really hard to be their own righteousness. Right? Remember, the law was made to show the people their sin, but because of his atoning sacrifice, Jesus is the only one who can forgive their sins. And Jesus ends with this main point. Verse 14, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Like God knows his people intimately. He knows the heart of the penitent and the right identity of who we truly are. And I want to press in a little bit here. Okay, I, in college, I also got to be a psychology major, and I really enjoy how our mind and our bodies and everything works with the scriptures and how God created us to be um, if you are looking for a book, you can write this down. There's this book, The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. Fantastic book. He's a psychologist. Uh, he's a Jesus follower. It's a wonderful book. In a season of my life, struggling with identity, what is the self? How do I know it's really me? How do I know it's not just my flesh? This was an incredibly uh, insightful book. And I think when Jesus talks about kind of humbling ourselves, it's not to, to forget who we are or lessen our uniqueness. In fact, I believe it's just back to the roots of it, right? It's like humbling means not trying to not decide for ourselves what is good and evil, actually giving that power back to God. It's about actually living in the reality that God is creator and we are his creation. Uh, in his book, he writes this simply, we do not find our true self by seeking it, 
Rather, we find it by seeking God. Right, we give it back to God, and he helps us with that. So if you're, if you're here, and I, I felt this was helpful in reading this book, there he had this list of this kind of false self and this true self list. Oh, you can see the ways of thinking, the ways of living that can cause us. Again, remember, the parable is told to people who are already in a position where they think they're better. They already think they've saved themselves. So that already happened. Somewhere in their journey, they weren't stopped. They didn't have these hitches in their journey, and they weren't stopped. So this is for us to kind of just look at real quick. So I took a picture. I think it looks, show that picture. Yeah, I don't know if you can read that. I'll, I'll say it for you, but it was, I tried to actually take the book, book picture. So the false self would say something like, security and significance achieved by what we have, what we can do, and what others think. Okay? The true self would be security and significance achieved by being deeply loved by God. False self would say, happiness sought in autonomy from God and in attachments. True self, fulfillment found in surrender to God and living out our vocation. False self, identity is our idealized self, meaning who we want others to think we are. It's a tough one. The true self, identity is who we are and are becoming in Christ alone. False self achieved by means of pretense and practice. The true self received as a gift with gratitude and surrender. False self maintained by effort and control. It sounds exhausting. True self maintained by grace. False self embraces illusion as a means of attempting to become a god. True self embraces reality as the place of meeting and being transformed by God. Do you see, this is just from a psychologist, from someone who deeply thinks about this stuff a lot, how easily we can fall in and out of those types of things. And we have to be aware and honest with those two senses of self and how it's feeding our minds and influencing us, and the humility that Jesus calls for us to actually stop, to realize these things, confess these things, and to seek God. And there's restoration in that. Now, to press on and back into our scriptures, Jesus is hammering home the inability humans have to save themselves. Okay, that, that's only in true humility of seeking God that we find ourselves. And this is not in our parable, but if you continue, if you have your Bibles open, you continue. This parable actually kicks off a few strings of, of examples of human inability to gain salvation. This very next section, Jesus is still talking. And a group of children are running up to be with Jesus. And the disciples, bless their heart, are trying to say, like, no, you're not important enough. Like, no, 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 our, our most important rabbi is speaking. You must wait, you know? What does Jesus say? But Jesus calls to them, this is eighteen sixteen, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. It's not this earthly wisdom. It's not this age. Why did they say they were unimportant? Because they just, they don't get it. They're not sophisticated enough. And Jesus is like, but their heart is good. Their heart is what I'm after, right? It's the, the, the unhindered, heartfelt love and acceptance of a child. And then right after this is almost as if it's like, a, like an underhand, just lobbed, soft, just about to be a dinger, right? This rich young ruler 
shows up. And that's like the ancient way of saying like, the like, like a beefcake, like the dream guy. He's rich. He's young. He's a ruler. Are you kidding me? He asks this question. He shows up, just probably taller than anybody. He shows up. He says, so what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've got it all. What's there to do? And I love what, yeah, I don't know if you ever caught, caught this before. What does Jesus quote to him? Gee, and, and this is, again, my opinion, whatever. Jesus quotes the commandments that are super doable, <laughs> right? He's like, well, you've heard it said, like, don't kill anybody. Don't commit adultery, right? He doesn't hit the big ones. He doesn't hit anything like that. And the guy's like, no way. I did it. I haven't killed anyone, at least not this year, you know, <laughs> right? I won. I checked all the boxes. This is awesome, right? But it was never about the boxes. It was never about checking that. It's almost like Jesus, like, toying with them a little bit, right? It was about the heart change that comes with the picture of the commandments, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving others that compels a person to live unselfishly and to naturally not do those things, right? So Jesus responds, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. What's his reaction to that? Oh, I won't do that. I can't do that. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now, you can quote me on this. It's easy to do the things that you can do. It's not a profound statement at all. That's why you can quote me. It's, <laughs> it's hard when it requires actually losing something that you want, right? It's super easy to do the things you can do. But to actually lose something that you want desperately, that's where it's hard. The kingdom of heaven is not attained through a checklist. It's about losing the things that you think make you great for the sake of finding something greater than you could ever give yourself. It's simply as Jesus says in chapter 18, 29. He says to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Like, the finding is in the losing. Like, we've said this a lot of times before, the way of Jesus is winning by losing. But we have to remind ourselves of this, that that false self, the things that come in, our human nature wars against that reality. This is why we need King Jesus. He did not come to say the kingdom of heaven is super achievable and easy and you can do it on your own. What does he say in John 14? I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I've, I've said this before, and we didn't make it up. We've edited it a little bit, but we've had this creed in our house called the, the Creed of the Beloved that we said, and, and it's just this little saying that we say as often as we can because we have to remind ourselves what it is. I put it on the screen, but it's just this thing we get with our kids and our family. Guys, guys, just if we can sit in this and remember that I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I'm the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take it from me. So I don't have to worry. I don't have to hurry. I can trust in Jesus and share his love with the world. And those are the types of things, if you can continually, habitually remind yourselves, give yourself that liturgy over and over and over again, whatever it is for you, 
that just continues to shape your heart and to, and to take the ways that you've gone into that kind of false humility, false self, and to bring it back down and say, nope, have mercy on me, God, right? And now for, for 10 weeks now, we've looked at some of Jesus' parables, and there's so many more, and we see over and over again this pattern of someone setting themselves up, and then someone has been placed down low. And yet Jesus puts up the mirror to these situations and says, actually, the kingdom of heaven is opposite of this. The lowly are raised up, the lofty are lowered down. Again, not to flip sides or would have the same exact issue, but to meet him in the middle. This is why these are not just moralistic teachings. These are kingdom value teachings, right? And this is the grace of the good news of Jesus today. His death, burial, and resurrection means salvation to the sinner because he dealt with sin. He judged sin. He consumed sin so that sin would no longer consume what was his. Sin is still active like a disease, right? It's grasping at anything to get a hold of, but it has no power. And that is the deceitful lie, that sin still has power for us, right? The sin is a result of the deceitful lie that the cross was not enough, that we need to do more, be more, try harder because Jesus wasn't enough. What did Jesus say? It is finished. That's the truth, right? Sin is a result of the deceitful lie that God doesn't love you because you have too much brokenness in your life. What is the truth? Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While he saw your too muchness, he wanted you. Our lives are marked by truth, not by lies, and it's the truth that will set us free. And these parables of Jesus are revealing that truth that the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I want to do something a little bit differently today. I'm going to ask Bryce to come on up. We're going to take communion together today. We typically take it kind of on our own in our own worship in our space, but there's something that I was actually walked through not too long ago, uh, actually through this parable, not teaching through the parable, but actually just in communion, which is really, it was really powerful. Um, so bear with me as I want to walk us through this. But here's the truth. Jesus is the king of a new kingdom, a whole new way to live, a whole new way to live now, right, that will carry on to eternity a life where love is the foundation, where joy is not circumstantial, where there are no lofty and there's no lowly, where there's no sadness, there's no fear, where there's no more death. The new way of life that Jesus is showing here on earth is not just to make a better humanity, but it's to practice a heavenly reality that is our eternity, to start to see on earth as it is in heaven. This is the reality Jesus is calling us into right now. And what it takes is for us to pause, to be humbled, to seek God, asking for mercy and finding it in Jesus Christ. And when we do this well, it's life-changing, and it should be, not just in how it feels, but that it actually should change our lives, right? With the truth we know through the scriptures, through the revelation of the Spirit, and just in community, the humility we seek, and God's guidance, we get to live that out and be a light and a beacon of the kingdom for those around us. We're a downtown church. You think that's like not intentional, like we want to be in downtown to be a beacon, be a light right here in the heart of the city. But for your neighbors, for every, your coworkers, everyone that we work with, or our family, 
We as the church get to be the movement of Jesus' kingdom on earth. We get to play a huge part in that. Those around us would see that we're changed by this king and it should be questionable. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you love when that person's unlovable? Why do you have joy when your life is terrible? You know? right? This should be a questionable thing because it's Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. So as we come to remember Jesus and the cross today, I'm going to ask you during this song, Jed and Bryce, who are amazing, are going to be up here and they're going to play a song for us and at your leisure, like go up and, and get communion or receive, I should say. Receive communion, bring it back to your seat, and then I want to walk us through communion together um, today. Um, so let's come to the table, let's come to this song, and let's worship our God today.